The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Building Banking on Values with your host, Linda Ryan. Banking today can depend on a variety of factors, including where you bank. It's time to put the power back into your pockets. It's time to change what you think you know about banking. Now, here is Linda Ryan. Welcome to the Building Banking on Value show. This is a series that goes behind the scenes of finance, innovation, and banking to shine a light on the values-based banking movement. Now, other ways of talking about values-based banking is I've heard it called ethical banking, sustainable, regenerative, and even just banking. We've got real stories about real people, real passion, and genuinely positive change in the banking sector. This isn't propaganda. This is positive stuff that you should be aware of and that you can actually be part of because where you put your money matters. This series is about a new wave of banks, organizations, and institutions rolling up their sleeves to create a positive, viable alternative to the current banking system. What they're doing is reassessing their purpose and redesigning their mission and operations around people, communities, and the real as opposed to the speculative economy. In case you're new to the series, we've looked at lots of different topics and we've had lots of great guests on the show. We've looked at everything from banking with a social conscience, lobbying and teaching for change in the sector, how research and governance is changing banking, how investment banking can and should have a heart. We've looked at financial inclusion, building economic independence, and the concept of banks and impact. We've looked at grassroots change in banking that's happening at an educational, community development, and Occupy level. We've also even looked at how money and finance uh, can be put to good use. We've explored how we bridge the gaps between ethical investment, growth capital, and an equitable global economy. We've also looked at systemic change through responsible finance and a concept called common good economics. We've explored the financial divide, and last week we even looked at social and solidarity investment banking happening um, from uh, the perspective of France and also um, from the UK. And on this week's show, we're going to hear from Kat Taylor from Beneficial State Bank uh, in the USA and Mike Townsend from Earthshine Solutions, also in the USA. Both are transformational leaders and social justice advocates for business and banking. But first, let's check in with David Cordland, a strategic advisor and veteran expert of ethical and values-based banking. He's going to take us through the latest headlines um, from the banking world. David, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, Linda. Nice to see you here. Talk again. I guess we're talking about seeing today. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to hear from you, too, and I hope you had a good vacation there a week or so ago. David, what's going on in the banking world in the last week? Well, I've got, uh, I've got three articles. One is about uh, uh, how banks need to focus on the personalities of the individuals they hire, a very interesting article. Uh, and then we, go, we sort of take two extremes. We go from the Pope to a bank robber. So I've got some interesting articles this week. <laughs> on the personality side, um, there's a recent study that actually uh, uh, suggests that 
the real issue and risk-taking has less to do with the bonus culture in the bank and more to do with the personalities. And that if uh, one wants to start changing the risk-taking behavior of banks, we should look at how uh, the, the style, the personalities of the, the top managers are and, and so forth. And I think that's quite interesting because there's a lot of talk about uh, what can we do to change the banking system. And, and I think there's lots of reasons why one should look at the compensation systems. But this is also saying you need to go beyond just the compensation systems. You need to look at the types of people who are doing the work. And uh, unfortunately, too many bankers are, are too uh, risk-focused. They like risk. And maybe that's why they're attracted to the compensation scheme. So it's always hard to know what the cause and effect is. But I think it's really good for us to think about what's the real driver. And if you don't have the right bankers in place, if they don't have the right values, personally, you're not going to get the right values in the banking system. So really interesting uh, um, article. It was uh, done by people from all around the world, from um, including uh, uh, Cardiff Business School, New York Stern School, Leeds University Business School, uh, highly worth looking at, and it came out of the University of Mannheim in Germany. So uh, let's start focusing on the types of bankers we have, not just how we pay them. It's great, to, it's great to see, David, some independent research on this topic because I've heard it from a number of guests, and more specifically the CEOs of values-based banks, how important it is for them to actually have the right people on board. I think it was Vince Siciliano last week is that uh, specifically, it was about you know hiring people not only a professional with the skill set, but also with the passion and the inner drive to want to make change through banking. Yeah, and I think we all recognize that uh, the most difficult thing is getting uh, the, the right uh, people in the seats. And so I think it's a it's a really good uh, wake up call to think about how do we how do, how do you find those right personalities to go into those uh, those seats that you want to uh, make change. And David, I just want to add something to it. I saw something um, on BBC News there this week, too, where there was a video showing China bank employees being spanked. I shouldn't laugh. I, I mean, God, I would hate to see that anybody would get hurt. But just um, such an extreme example of uh, employee appraisal on, on a training course. And it's exactly the type of world we don't want to create. Um, I just thought it was interesting to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I don't recommend spanking in the uh, the workplace. That tends not to be terribly effective, I'm afraid. So the next question, Linda, is do we, we, do we go to the saints or the sinners? And I think I'll start with the sinners. Um, there was an article a couple of weeks ago, the May 30th issue of the, the New Yorker, that had a very detailed uh, set of interviews and, and research into Hervé Fauciana, who took client data from HSBC in Switzerland, was subsequently indicted, jailed in Spain, celebrated in France. And what makes this article interesting, uh, other than the fact that it's sort of a nice gossipy article to read, is that you really get a sense of what some of the large banks do in terms of helping individuals hide money. And uh, the chair of a Swiss bank was really quite irritated about the fact that the the, the data that was taken was stolen, uh, illegal illegal data not uh, allowed to do in Switzerland. But it seemed to me that that comment missed the whole point. What about all the stealing from the countries where those taxes should have been paid? Um, isn't that equally a challenge? And so, so it's fascinating. The article gives you real insight into how. Uh, some of the big banks work who have
who have had Swiss operations. I think it's going to stop in Switzerland, but it will move elsewhere, including to the U.S., where there's also quite some lack of transparency. But a uh, very good article, fun to read, but also uh, really provides some, somebody I described as meat on the bones of the Panama Papers. So it's called The Bank Robber, New Yorker, May 30th. Fascinating article. Uh, but also, I think, unfortunately, another indictment of the culture of many large banks. Indeed. And I actually saw an article there in The Guardian this week, too, and it was, um, you know, how Goldman Sachs are, are censoring emails and, and getting into the specifics of, you know, people aren't allowed, obviously, to swear, um, but also the expression of strong emotion or doubt is now not allowed. And it brings us back to what you're talking about and the importance of transparency and accountability. You know, surely the solution isn't censorship, but it's, it's, it's deeper. It's more about the culture within an organization. And, and you know, y- you don't need, it's the carrot and stick approach, you know? Absolutely. So, so I think it's also good if, once you've once sort of been on the sitting side, and I'm not saying whether the, uh, Mr. Falciano or the chair of the big bank is on the sitting side. Clearly, there was enough uh, problems to go around. I think the last article I want to focus on is a, um, a recent uh, uh, article about Pope Francis and his focus on impact investing. Impact investing, as, as some people know, is where you try to t- make the investment you make in your, in your retirement funds and whatever also do good. And the Vatican recently assembled its second impact investing conference. And I think that's a very concrete way in which uh, the the church can show leadership. Um, and, and it also points out uh, the importance of, of how people can use money. What's interesting is uh, a quote from Jackie Vandenberg from uh, U.S. Trust Investment Strategist. She says 58% of baby boomers, that, that's my generation, I'd say, uh, say social and environmental impact is important, 58%, well over half. However, 93% of millennials, way past my generation, will say that. 93%, nearly 100% say social and environmental impact is important. But she went on to say, in fact, millennials are starting to say, why are you even asking me this question? That gives me lots of hope for the future if the, uh, the next generation is saying, why do we even have to ask what is such a basic question? I think that's fantastic. I think the fact that the church is sponsoring a impact investing conference is fantastic. Um, and I think the fact that they're looking at how can they shift their investment dollars into making an impact is also great. So, so I think that's a, a, a real sign of positive, uh, positive moves in the investment side. So I think we should uh, really encourage that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something to be celebrated, I guess, you know, from two points of view. One, obviously, Pope Francis is a significant influencer in the world, you know, with with such a following. But also, I mean, he heads up one of probably one of the largest banks. And um, so to be tabling these topics with with that power from a financial perspective, I think it's a very clear signal and also a very positive step in, in the right direction. Yeah, the only bad news about that is that, that that particular bank has had some challenges in the past, so uh, its own ethical challenges. I think he's working on how to, to clean that up, but uh, it's not a, it's not always a perfect story at the uh, the Vatican Bank. I would have to add. To no, be, uh, to no. Be fair. no, but let's celebrate the change. It's great. Uh, <laughs> the change is great, and we should have it wherever we can. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, do, you, do you have another article you want to talk about? Because uh, if you don't, I want to get your opinion on Brexit. So the, the British vote today, I think it's happening, um, on whether Britain will stay uh, as part of the European Union and whether it will have an impact from a financial uh, and economic and banking perspective. Yeah, let's go there. I think that's a really interesting topic. Um, uh, I, Brexit is a very interesting issue, and I think it's also an issue that is, how should I should say, indicative of, of some of the other stresses in the current political system, whether it's um, uh, the rise of uh, both Donald Trump and uh, Bernie Sanders in the U.S. And the, and the political power they've uh, surprised everyone with, or the uh, some of the uh, the recent election in Austria where a far right uh, politician nearly won the presidency. Uh, just barely held out. Uh, and, and I think that Brexit is another example where people are saying, we're not being listened to, we're not being taken care of. And I think that's the real motivation. Um, unfortunately, Brexit, Brexit uh, like some of these other um, movements, has also quickly focused on the issue of, of, uh, of immigration and, and frequently takes on a, a almost a racist stint or more than almost racist stint. But I think it does reflect the fact that uh, public policymakers have not, in my view, sufficiently been listening to the stresses in the system, have not been thinking about how do we design safety nets uh, to help people who are the, the victims, the innocent victims of transition. And that can be the coal miner in, in the U.S. who has a low-paying job with actually poor working conditions and likely death from uh, side effects of working in the coal mines. But uh, that's the only job they have, and there's no other jobs there. So what are we doing to help those people find better jobs and, and possibly finding jobs without having to move away for the communities uh, that their families have been in for years? And I think breakfast, Brexit is an example of that same trend. Will it have an impact on banks? I think it will. Um, uh, it depends on whether it goes through or not. I think it'll be difficult to tell right away what the real impact is, but if Brexit wins, if the Britain leaves the uh, European Union, I think there's potential for enormous disruption in the current financial system in Europe uh, because the question is, why should Europe uh, provide a free passport for financial services firms in the UK? That has potentially long-term consequences for the job market in the UK. Uh, it also has, I think, long-term consequences for limiting the power of UK-based and European-based banks because they quite built up in the UK. And that maybe is not so good because that leads to even more domination by the large U.S. banks. So I think there's lots of consequences. I think it's too early to tell what they would be. And unfortunately, we'll only know the consequences on one side because it will, it will either be a yes or no vote. We won't know the consequences on the other side. But I think the uh, potential for disruption is greater on the side of, uh, of, of exiting. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, thanks for the insight. And, and it brings me to, I mean, looking at the, the macro perspective on things, it brings me to another article I saw in the American Banker. Um, and I was delighted to see uh, Barclays are, are announcing that they're aiming to bring, bring a billion unbanked into the fold, creating financial inclusion for 80% of the African population. And we've spoken so much about the importance of banking the unbanked and banking the underbanked. 
on this show. And it, it was an interesting comment, you know, where the, I, I can't remember the, the spokesperson's name, but where he was saying, you know, this is, this is more about, um, you know, bringing in business, but it's, it's, it's the effect it will have not only for people on a local level, but for the economy and the GDP in that region. And that in itself is, is the prize. I just think it's such an interesting it's such a relief to see this kind of um, perspective, I think, in a way, hitting the mainstream. Yeah, and I think it's the mainstream recognizing that there's uh, tremendous opportunities that the, uh, it's frequently referred to as the bottom of the pyramid. But the bottom of the pyramid is a, a powerful uh, uh, place to be involved in, in the economy, and I think it's good to see that that's happening. Yeah. Absolutely, totally agree, and we've said it so many times on the show. David, listen, thank you so much for a, a great news roundup this week, and also thank you very much for uh, your support of the show. Um, this series, uh, this is the last episode in this particular series, but I have a feeling we'll definitely be back. So, uh, David, thank you very much. Folks, come back to us after the break. We're going to hear from Kat Taylor, Executive Director with Beneficial State Bank. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Value show. We just had David Kurzland on the show, and he was giving us such a great insight into the banking world when he was talking about the latest news headlines. We spoke about things like risk-taking, the importance of the personality of banks and who banks actually recruit to do this kind of work. And we also spoke about uh, saints and sinners, uh, bank robbers, and um, uh, uh, on the sinner side and on the saint side, Pope Francis, who hosted the second impact uh, investing conference 
and, and the changes that the Vatican Bank are making. On the show now, we have Kat Taylor, who is co-CEO with Beneficial State Bank uh, in the USA. Now, Kat works in service of restoring social justice and environmental well-being. She's active in a variety of social enterprises, public benefit and philanthropic ventures on the West Coast of the USA. Currently, she serves as co-founder and co-CEO of Beneficial. Uh, it's a community development financial institution. Now, Kat serves and has served on many nonprofit boards, including Harvard Board of Overseers, EcoTrust, Good Samaritan Family Resource Center, ProPublica, Curiosity, Insight Prison Project, KQED, and Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. She graduated from Harvard and earned an MBA from Stanford. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, Kat, tell me about Beneficial State Bank, your mission, your customers, and how you support your communities. Sure. So we are a for-profit deposit-gathering regulated bank in the United States serving the three West Coast states, Washington, Oregon, and California. We have a triple bottom line, which is another way of stating that we are values-driven. We are attempting to create social justice and environmental well-being at the same time that we are financially sustainable. That's our triple bottom line and our mission. Uh, we uh, initiated in 2007 as largely a commercial bank, making loans to businesses, social enterprise, and nonprofits. Uh, we have just closed a merger uh, with two other banks, very values aligned with us, that now make us a, a scaled a consumer lending bank as well uh, with about 13,000 current consumer customers and filling in our geography. The way we support our communities is by bringing uh, a values-driven mindset to one of the most important uh, institutions in the American and any economy, arguably, which is banking. Uh, we bring the values of trust, empowerment, and justice to that endeavor, and the reason we're focused on banking is that it is essentially the original and most powerful form of crowdfunding and must be done in the interest of all the stakeholders. So not that a specific deposit funds a specific loan, but all deposits fund a lending practice. So we want to design an institution and perfect it through financial resilience that would respect our depositors, our customers, our borrowers, our communities, and the environment upon which we all depend. We did that uh, by making sure that the governance and ownership are aligned with those commitments that we have a lending practice that is producing an economy that our stakeholders uh, approve of and that that economy has profound effects for society at large and then also utilizing radical transparency about what our lending produces and how we show up as an American corporation. You were originally, I think, originally called uh, One Pacific Coast. Um, was there a, a, a strategic decision to change the name to Beneficial State? And if so, what was, uh, you know, what was the reasoning behind that? Sure. Well, our name is that, and brand is actually very important because if we're going to change the banking system for good, which is our overarching mission, we need not only to have an excellent model that operates well and, and takes its own 
market share wherever it can. We need to create a movement as well. So the name of our bank and our brand equity is very important to that movement building. We were initially a California bank, meaning we only served California, and called One California Bank, as in we're all in one California, like we're all in one boat. Um, shortly in our history, though, we uh, because of the uh, Great Recession, well, we encountered a more immediate need to merge with other banks. We actually merged with Shore Bank Pacific, the West Coast subsidiary of the legendary South Shore Bank in Chicago. Uh, the parent was in peril, and nobody wanted the West Coast subsidiary to go down, so we actually bought that bank to recapitalize it. Um, but once that meant that we were in Washington, Oregon, California, we could no longer carry off a name like One California, so we became One Pacific Coast Bank. But that didn't really attend to our mission and our vision. We wanted a name that would broadcast to people what we thought the hallmark quintessential quid pro quo of banking should and must be, which is benefit to all, harm to none, at least as an ideal. So we rebranded the Beneficial State Bank almost two years ago to imply that banking should put people in a beneficial state of both being and mind that uh, we need to culturally and economically solve for benefit to all, harm to none. Wow, so what an interesting journey and a very interesting and authentic story on on not only a transition from a a name, it's more than a name, it's really a culture and a movement that you're trying to build. Um, Tell me about your unique ownership structure and how you distribute profits. Sure. So that's the first design element of the new bank model. We wanted the governance and ownership to be uh, as perfectly aligned with our mission as it could be. Not that all banks could organize this way, but as a point of the spear effort, we had to be kind of squeaky clean on motivation. So at the formation of the bank initially, Uh, we gave all of the economic rights of the bank away to a public charity foundation of the same name, now called Beneficial State Foundation, which meant that we had no private shareholder insisting that we maximize profits. Moreover, that we were governed uh, deeply in the public interest. Public charities take their representation on the board from other public charities. Ours came from Bridge Housing, representing everyone's um, access to safe and affordable housing. Also from East Bay College Fund, representing everyone's access to high-quality higher education. And the Tides Community Foundation, representing a commitment to true community economic development. Those organizations will always appoint a majority of that board, so no private individual either can control the board. And then if crowdfunding is sort of the front end of the bank, the back end has a virtuous profit-taking cycle because if and when profits are distributed from the bank, they can only go to that public charity foundation. And the bylaws of Beneficial State Foundation mandate that it will reinvest any distributed profits back into the low-income communities that we serve and the environment upon which we all depend. Wow, so it's a real, a real example, a concrete example of how important the redistribution of profits to the local community, local economy, and indeed the real economy is, and how banks can actually play a key role in that. Yes. Um, I've also I've seen it written that beneficial state banks sets the new standard for banking. Now, obviously, some of what you've said can clearly clearly highlights that. 
But um, can can you go into more detail on that? Like, what what are the types of initiatives that you develop, or the products and services that you create, or, or how different are your relationships with stakeholders and customers that make it a new model for banking? Sure. So I think it's a new old model in one sense that it's a return to banking based on relationships. That we are in deep relationship with our stakeholder communities. So we want a lending practice that our depositors can be proud of uh, in a leveraged bank model. The majority of the funding is the depositors, and it's the lowest cost funding almost in the world because of the benefit of FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, insurance. Um, so uh, we want... Uh, we want to reawaken the stakeholders of banking that they deserve to be in relationship and they deserve to have, as David Carson does, strong opinions about what banking should and, more importantly, should not do. Then I think also that um, actually the smartest banking is the best banking for all, that we've had um, an obfuscation of the bank value proposition over the last three or four decades where depositors aren't sure of what they should be getting, uh, uh, borrowers are not necessarily getting um, debt that makes them stronger after they take it than they were before, uh, and communities and the environment are largely left out of the equation but for the influence that the Community Reinvestment Act has upon the activities and behaviors of the bigger banks. So uh, we do want to set a new standard in banking. It might seem a little preposterous. We've grown to the size of nearly $800 million in assets, which seems like a giant number to us, starting from zero, of course. But the banking system is massive. There are $12 trillion of depositors' money in the American economy alone. The largest banks in the world are upwards near about $2.5 trillion in assets. That's way bigger than many federal agencies in the United States context. Uh, these are big incumbents, somewhat ossified in place with a lot of practices that we need to eliminate from banking as we know it. Um, so what we're trying to do is, on our, in our theory of change is to say the smarter banking, uh, which we can prove by competition, is one that respects all our stakeholders. And in a relationship set, sense, we need to migrate deposit equity, and human capital away from old incumbent practices that are not serving us and to this paradigm of benefit to all, harm to none. And I, I must say the deposit and equity migration is very important, but I'm most excited about the human capital migration. David talked about uh, banks' uh, personalities being driven by whom they hire. Nothing could be more true. Our newest partners uh, through this latest merger say, you can't, uh, you can't train nice. Uh, we say you can't train mission. We seek individuals who want alignment in their own life. We can uh, try to backfill banking skills and other um, uh, occupational needs from a training standpoint, but what we, we want people who want what they do every minute of every day to be in alignment with their own ethics and values and have them bring that to the banking practice. 
What a wonderful approach. And also, I have to say, from a business point of view, what a smart approach, because if you get the right people and you're helping to feed their inner drive for mission, you're going to get them to stay. And if they stay, they commit to making change and, and adding to change on a much larger scale. And <clears throat> excuse me, speaking of scale, you announced this week your merger with Pan American Bank, and the caption was, together you'll build something beautiful. Can you um, briefly describe how that beautiful building will happen? Yes, and actually that's our tagline, Build Something Beautiful, because we take the Joseph Campbell Heroes Journey Theory of Life where we're simply enabling our customers to live their highest purpose calling or a life of the highest purpose. Um, And so we want them to build something beautiful aided by the financial services beneficial financial services we can provide them. The merger with Pan Am is giving us a broader suite of those products, financial services and products, uh, to help all of our customers lead uh, their best life. Um, as I mentioned, we began largely as a commercial bank, uh, somewhat forced by the times. We were started in 2007 and the mortgage crisis foreclosed us being able to become a residential mortgage lender. Uh, we have become a a fairly scaled multifamily housing lender, uh, but with Pan Am, and, uh, which is comprised of finance and thrift and Pan American banks who merged last fall, we will reach broader consumer markets with some very critical product sets. So we already have the transactional banking services that you would most expect at a bank, checking, savings, time deposits, uh, certificates of deposits, and we even uh, have a very aligned product called CDARS, uh, which is a broker network that allows mission-aligned organizations to put much larger deposits uh, safely in the bank above the $250,000 limit. We also have a very bespoke commercial lending practice uh, where we uh, very much customize loans to businesses and nonprofits and social enterprise to help them get their work done. And we do a fair amount of small business lending. Our sister bank in Portland, Albina Community Bank, similarly does that and uh, does do a little bit of residential mortgage finance and some auto lending. But what Pan Am brings to the picture is a very scaled auto lending practice. Auto loans, especially used car auto loans, are very important to working class families, uh, particularly in areas of our states that don't enjoy good mass transit. Uh, the Pan American has five branches down the Central Valley of California, really critical locales for us in terms of serving the un and underbanked, uh, and those communities do not have that um, state-of-the-art mass transit. So those used cars are absolutely employment-enabling. That's how people get to their job. But the Perfect. Pat, let me stop you there. Sorry, we've actually run out of time. Listen, thank you so much. It was a wonderful interview and a great, again, another positive story of how a bank, a values-based bank going deeper into community is actually expanding and expanding commercially and expanding through mergers um, to offer more support to communities. And I love the the slogan, you know, benefit to all, harm to none. And that coming from a co-CEO of a bank is just, is a, yeah, it's pretty inspirational. Kat, if people want to find more information, uh, very quickly, what's your web address? 
www.beneficialstate.com. There's no bank in the word. It's a four-letter word. I also encourage you to visit www.beneficialstate.org. That's the foundation. And .org backslash impact is our very robust impact website where you can see what's happening as a result of this beneficial banking. Fantastic. Yeah, folks, I definitely recommend you check out the Impact Hub. There's some lots of powerful stories and some key data, actually, on, on the proof points in this. Uh, Kat, thanks for joining us. Uh, folks, join us after the break. We'll meet Mike Townsend. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash voiceamericatrn. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Value show. We had a great interview with Kat Taylor, co-CEO of Beneficial State Bank in the last segment and actually pretty inspiring. I mean, she kept repeating the phrase, you know, banking is about benefits wall, harm to none. And real banking and values-based banking is, is a return to what banking was originally, which is basing it on relationships and the real economy and real needs. Uh, definitely check out their website, Beneficial. Um, I think it's BeneficialState.com. Now on the show, we have Mike Townsend. Uh, Mike Townsend is CEO of Earthshine. He's um, a business and economic transformational leader, a board member, speaker, teacher, and author. Um, Earthshine is an international business consultancy that integrates sustainability principles into the heart of business strategies and operations. And it's something that we keep coming back to on this show, how um, the principles of sustainability should and, and can be put into the heart of business and banking. In addition to running Earthshine, Mike serves as an advisory board uh, member with the University of Oslo, so he teaches courses on sustainable development, business, and economy. 
Mike is author of The Quiet Revolution, editor of Reframing the Game, and lead author of A Journey in Search of Capitalism. He's also a regular contributor uh, for The Huffington Post, Two Degrees, The Guardian, Eddie.net, and more. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Linda. It's a real pleasure to join you on your show and your listeners, and uh, thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. You're welcome. And we appreciate the fact that you're actually traveling in Denmark and you're still making the interview. So thanks, Mike. Um, I want you to tell me about Earth, Earthshine Solutions. Uh, like, first off, what is Earthshine? I, I did Google it yesterday and I thought it's an interesting concept um, and an interesting name for an organization. But I'd like you to explain what Earthshine actually means to you and your business. Well, for, for us, it's kind of... Um uh, a name that was inspired by trying to integrate something uh, around the planet and the environment uh, and uh, money and finance. So Earthshine uh, sort of encapsulates that really uh, in one word. Uh, it's also a phenomenon that you can see from, from space when uh, sunlight is uh, uh, bouncing off and shining on the Earth. Uh, and it's also a great song by one of my favorite bands of all time, uh, Rush. Okay, so lots of personal inspiration, business inspiration, and a world inspiration. Yeah, when I looked it up, I saw that it was um, it was the impact of well, I think it's it's a visual impact of um, the Earth on the Moon, and it's to do with the reflection of the sun sunlight. But I thought it was a very interesting, a very cool name actually for a consultancy that helps businesses understand their true worth and their true impact from a social, economic, and environmental point of view. So. Um, yeah, cool name. Tell us about your vision, your philosophy, and the customers, type of customers that you serve. Well, the vision actually kind of stems from, from the name, um, because right from day one, we've been around for 10 years now, and uh, right from day one, it's about uh, integration, uh, fully integrating sustainability principles right into the heart of business strategy and operations and supply chains all the way through. So we've been working to kind of develop the kind of new models of how a, a business uh, could actually work. And this has been done in recognition that you know, the business landscape is changing. You know, we thought it was changing 10 years ago, but look at it today. You know, as we enter the perfect storm of, of climate change, energy crisis, resource scarcity, and the continuing kind of fallout from the economic crisis and restructuring our, our economies. Business as usual is no longer good enough. Uh, business models are, are being tested to destruction, uh, and we're going to see a, a lot more of this. You know, if we just take the climate change challenge alone, you know, a recent analysis by London School of Economics has shown that you know, economies could be really badly hit by up to 30% of GDP. And if you translate that into business impact, can you imagine businesses uh, in any nation across the world losing 30% of their uh, turnover, their income, it will wipe businesses out. And so we're working towards a vision of where uh, business fully integrates sustainability principles in the strategy, in the operational, uh, in the operations and supply chains, and, and then really kind of captures the, the benefit of doing that, being able to generate shared prosperity for the long term, for the, for the many, not the few. Um, it sounds very... Very noble. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, how does it relate to, you know, practical business applications? You, you mentioned, I, I did see it written before that you, um, 
you feel that CSR, which is corporate social responsibility, is on the way out. So, so what does that mean for businesses and, and how does that translate into something called sustainable economy and how do we actually build the sustainable oh, yeah. economy? Uh, you're asking some great questions and uh, some big ones. I'll, I'll try and uh, give three points of focus in there. Uh, first of all, in terms of our own practical application, uh, we're focused on three key areas. We're focused on business models and strategy and realigning that uh, with sustainability principles built in. We're focused on uh, business leadership and how we open up the business mindset uh, to see not just the challenges, but also the possibilities and the real solutions that are out there. Uh, and then thirdly, not only do we need well-functioning business models and business leaders to able to, to work and uh, create the transition to those new models, we also need to change the system, hence the uh, sustainable economy piece, which we'll come on to in a moment. But in terms of CSR being on the way out, we recognised that for a long time that uh, it was never going to be adequate. And um, uh, we came across a speech by Peter Backer, the President of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, um, about a year and a half ago. And that speech really resonated uh, with me. He declared at uh, a conference in Copenhagen that CSR is dead. It's over. Uh, and uh, we've been doing some work on investigating you know, the, the inadequacies of CSR uh, as a response. Uh, and when you look at it, there's so much noise out there. Everyone's doing a CSR report. Nice, glossy reports coming out. But when you look at the key metrics of what's actually happening, it's, it's not really sort of hitting the spot. So greenhouse gas emissions are still growing. Uh, we see that we're extracting up to 50% more natural resources than we were 30 years ago. Um, the WWF indicate that we need an average of one and a half planets uh, to keep on with the lifestyles that we've got. And three planets uh, in the West... Uh, and in America, it's even five planets' uh, lifestyle. So we know that this, this can't continue. So the key metrics show that we're actually not really making much progress. But when you also scratch under the surface and look at what businesses are really doing, there's some great research by the Danish Technical University, uh, BTU. They analysed 40,000 CSR reports. 40,000, I wouldn't uh, fancy that particular job. But they found that only 5% of those 40,000 reports even referred to planetary boundaries or ecological limits. So the real kind of physical constraints of what we need to live within. 75% of them mentioned it, and not one, not one, actually got into the mechanics of how they were going to deliver and put uh, the reporting on progress uh, towards delivering on those aims. So you've got to say we're not really doing it. CSR is a maybe you know uh, it's not visit uh, too much, but it's it's kind of an arbitrary tick box assurance model. And it's, it's interesting as well. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. De- definitely feedback from some of the guests that we've had, and more specifically CEOs of banking organisations, is that you know they what they're doing is is turning the banking model on its head so that it's about people, planet, and prosperity first, and then the profit will follow. 
Um, and what they're saying too around CSR is that CSR isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't work because what what businesses are effectively doing is making a killing during the week to make a profit so that they can give some of that profit away at the weekend to CSR activities. I just really like the analogy of it. You know, this is, as you're saying, this is about switching mindsets from a business leadership and strategy perspective to actually think triple bottom line. Tell me specifically about the sustainable economy. What does it look like? What's possible? And and what are some corporate actions? Okay. Well, um, a kind of our interest in this field got uh, peaked uh, immediately uh, post-financial crisis. So we started investigating, you know, uh, why a company is being driven, say, sort of short-term, you know, maximizing profits for uh, shareholders and so on, uh, without enough uh, sort of integration of true sustainability impact. Um, so we started unwrapping the, the system of, of capitalism. That's fine. You can focus on the problem, but you also need to look forward and start thinking about, well, what's the future? What's the alternative? Uh, and so the harder we looked, the more we found and so we came across um, eight key shifts for um, what a kind of a vibrant, uh, attractive, engaging economy could look like. Um, and those, those key shifts are around finding purpose beyond growth. So not just chasing growth, although there are reasons why we do that. And the debt-based system of finance uh, is a big issue there. And that's probably a, a topic for a whole show, so I won't go too much into that just at the moment. But we need to find purpose beyond growth. Uh, uh, companies need to engage with responsible, responsible growth strategies where they can actually decouple the impacts that they're having on the growth they're, they're trying to make. Companies like Unilever are just starting to address this uh, and see how far they can go. And I think the solutions that we now have with things like the circular economy, which give us some radical uh, improvements um, in the resource efficiency, uh, make an impact, but we might need to go further into other business models and start engaging with things like the sharing economy and collaborative consumption so we can reduce our overall uh, demand and impact uh, on the planet, but also think socially, what's, what are the impacts that we're trying to uh, generate? So I think finding purpose and the sustainable development goals are a wonderful example there of where businesses can now uh, do something useful for the society for the planet, and put their kind of core skills to good use and generate a fair return. So That's great. Sorry to cut across you there, Mike. We're short on time, um, but I like what you're saying. What I'm hearing there in terms of the concrete actions are purpose beyond growth, um, impact and growth, and how they can couple together circular economy and even thinking beyond circular economy like the resource economy, the sharing economy, and businesses thinking with a social purpose. And speaking of social purpose, it brings me to um, your book, The Quiet Revolution Towards a Sustainable Economy, where you talk about the financial crisis, capitalism, and the solutions already available. I want you to to tell me about these solutions that you've seen and more specifically what you've seen happen in the values-based banking space. Well, I think, uh, yeah, the banking space is absolutely fundamental. Um, and it's one of the key shifts uh, that, we, that we've been uh, working on and writing about. And the uh, starting point is about reframing our view of wealth, our view of money systems and the purpose of money systems, and you know, the mission of banking within that. And I think David Corton has been uh, quite instrumental in sort of my understanding 
uh, in this field, and he, he coins it um, moving to real living wealth, not just uh, uh, maximizing your material wealth, which he calls phantom wealth. It's not real. You know? So we actually have to start thinking again, rethinking about the purpose of money and how you use it, and uh, to enable uh, the right things to happen, uh, enable the real economy to function, enable people to have jobs and wages, but still working within planetary boundaries. So I think the key shift there in, uh, in how we think about wealth and money. The role of banks is so, so important in that uh, uh, key shift. And seeing the role of sustainable banks and values-based banks being sustainable, that where they get their, their, their money from and where the capital comes from, being uh, mindful of, of how that money is used and invested uh, to deliver the, the transition that we need towards a more sustainable uh, planet, uh, and then thirdly, following up on the impacts, improving you know, the return on investment uh, socially, economically, and environmentally. Um, and quite importantly, I think, having the relationship with a customer again. I think um, a lot of the mainstream banks got into a kind of cycle where they were distanced from the customer and started almost not thinking of customers as people anymore. So I think this is the personal approach uh, and relationship approach in sustainable banking is also important. And I think the key shift that we see, the key opportunity, is for people and businesses around the world to start moving their money into sustainable banking so that uh, we can actually start growing this positive impact and enable that kind of migration to a much more sustainable uh, banking system, which itself delivers the, the financial impact that we need for the transition and the shifts to work towards a sustainable economy. Mike, what a great, what a great last word actually to, to have on the, show, on the show, the last show of this particular series. So thank you so much. Um, if people want to find more information uh, about what you're doing, where should they go? Um, I think for, for sort of the latest and up-to-date information, check out the Earthshine uh, Facebook page. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter. That's uh, Mike uh, sorry, Mike underscore Earthshine, uh, the Sustainable Economy Project Facebook site, and also uh, for details on the Quiet Revolution, you can go to Greenleaf Publishing or uh, Amazon and uh, see when that's coming out later this year. Fantastic. Mike, thanks very much. Folks, uh, this, as I mentioned before, this is the last show of this particular series, but we will be back. Um, I do want to say, if you want to continue the conversation, it will be wonderful to hear from you. Tweet me at Catalyst Warrior. Tweet the show at Voice AM Business. And don't forget to share the show and spread the word. I know you have been doing it, so thank you very much. Because at the end of the day, we are all bankers if we put our money in the system. And we have the power to build banking on values. Thank you for listening to Building Banking on Values. Please join your host, Linda Ryan, again next Thursday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 